0: Welcome to AFT in Action, a podcast for members of AFT Connecticut-affiliated local unions. We're approximately 30,000 working people in the public and private sectors, teachers and school support staff, nurses and healthcare workers, higher education faculty and public employees in nearly 90 unions across the state. The series provides a deeper dive into issues impacting our members and our movement as part of AFT Connecticut's engagement and communications efforts.
1: Welcome back, sisters and brothers. My name is Jan Hockadel. I'm the president of AFT Connecticut. And once again, I will be co-hosting this latest episode of AFT in Action. This time, I am co-hosting with a true leader in the state's labor movement, Sal Luciano. Sal, let's talk about your history for just one minute. How long were you at AFSCME?
0: Executive director of AFSCME for 17 years, Jen.
1: Wow. And you retired a little over a year ago? Exactly. How did that work out?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I found something I'm bad at. (laughs)
1: Truly, truly. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Sal is now the president of the Connecticut AFL-CIO, and we're so glad to have you here. Sal, I know it's hard to believe, but we actually started working together more than 10 years ago. You were with AFSCME, and I was with the State Vocational Federation of Teachers, and we were at the table together um, with other state employee union leaders negotiating a job security package with the then governor. And it's been great working together on a wide range of issues over the years, and I'm so happy our partnership has continued Um, since you were elected as the president of AFL-CIO a year ago.
0: Jan, I've always valued being able to count you and AFT Connecticut as partners.
1: And this discussion is a great example of the kind of partnerships that make our labor movement strong. This episode is the first of three on the topic of workplace violence, which sadly is becoming all too common. It's a broad subject, so for the first conversation, we wanted to lay the groundwork um, for the following two. By defining what workplace violence is... And then we'll also answer members' questions about what's in place to protect them on the job.
0: Right, Jen. It's important for union members to know the history of the struggle to make workplaces safer in Connecticut. That helps us all in better understanding today's rules. Plus, it helps us organize more effectively to make improvements tomorrow.
1: Exactly. And then for the next two episodes, we'll dive deeper into violence in specific workplace settings. One will focus on hospitals and healthcare facilities, and the other will address pre-K-12 public schools.
0: The simple fact is that work shouldn't hurt for anyone in America in 2019, whether they are protected by a contract or not. Let's not forget that the labor movement was born during a period of extreme violence directed at those who spoke out for justice. That's why it's up to us as union members to use our collective voice to make safe jobs a reality for all working people.
1: Well said so. And for this first discussion, we've asked Steve Schrag to provide some of the history and answer some of our members' questions. Steve wears several hats as a labor activist, including his service as a co-chair of the Connecticut Council on Occupational Safety and Health, better known as Connecticut. The organization helps unions, individuals, and communities ensure healthier and safer work conditions and living conditions.
0: That's right, Jen. Kinetikash has a strong record of providing technical and legal support, education, and community organizing that's made a real difference. Members of the AFL-CIO's Health and Safety Committee have partnered with Steve and the team at Kinetikash on several projects, including our annual Workers' Memorial Day commemorations.
1: Exactly, Sal. And we should also mention that in his day job, Steve is the director of safety and training for CEUI, SEIU, Local 511. So we have someone joining us who lives and breathes the issue and helps our members better understand it. And with that, Steve, welcome to AFT in action. We appreciate you sharing your vast experience on this topic today.
2: Thank you, Jan. I really appreciate the opportunity to share strategies with workers so they can find ways to make their workplaces safer, to help empower them, and maybe plant some seeds so that we can again, get some, win some more victories in the future.
1: Oh, exactly. Thank you. So before we tackle questions on workplace violence, let's talk a little bit about Kinetikash. Can you provide a bit of history and context for our members who aren't familiar with the organization?
2: Connecticosh was created out of the first New Directions grant the University of Connecticut Health Center got back in the early 1980s. And this was meant to help educate and empower workers. We did train the trainers then, and COSH was established as a group in 81 and we've uh, struggled on a number of things including fighting for the right to know law around chemicals around right to act law in terms of empowering workers to raise their voice without feeling retaliation Mm -hmm. we helped create the occupational health clinics at uconn and yale and uh, we've continued to struggle around a lot of things including workplace violence several years ago we did a number of conferences called shatter the silence to talk about the range of workplace violence issues everything from bullying and sexual assault to physical violence, and what we found was it was amazing about how broad a constituency there is out there. Mm -hmm. We thought about healthcare workers, we thought about uh, public sector workers, we found manufacturing, we found building trades, we found all kinds of people who face various kinds of problems Mm -hmm. in this area.
0: Steve, can you talk about workplace violence from a statutory perspective? In other
2: words, what are some of the laws currently in place to protect working people? Well, Connecticut does have a law to deal with healthcare workers that fifty or more have to have some kind of program um, under federal law. Under Con OSHA follows federal OSHA law. There are guidelines and recommendations to deal for healthcare workers and other folks. However, we do not have a full-time workplace violence standard, and we have been trying to get that for many, many years. Uh, we're trying to get help from people like uh, Congressman Joe Courtney, who has a federal bill in to, in fact, require that OSHA do this. This is sort of how we got the bloodborne pathogen standard many years ago. And we're hopeful that we can continue to push the envelope here and get the protections, legal protections. OSHA will issue uh, recommendations and citations, but it's not a standard. So it depends on the lawyers at the Justice Department about whether they issue the citation. Con-OSHA, I don't think they've issued any kind of citations around workplace violence. They have around other things, but they, in fact, uh, are very hesitant to go into areas where there isn't an actual legal standard.
1: That's very helpful, Steve. It definitely gives us a better understanding of workplace violence from the legal perspective. Can you give us some examples that employees typically face on the job?
2: It's a range from everything from bullying by supervisors. Unfortunately, sometimes it's sexual harassment by coworkers. Sometimes it's by patients in healthcare facilities. I work, I work for SEIU, and at one point I worked for the region. I dealt with a, an incident at a Brookdale Hospital in New York. We had a 70-year-old nurse who was working on a med surge floor. She was attacked by a 40-year-old patient. She was left in a coma. The problem was, as in many cases, communication. People at the ER knew that there was a problem. They didn't communicate it to the floor. She was doing what is the most dangerous thing a worker can do, working alone. Mm -hmm. That is the highest risk factor for workplace violence. And um, you know, we ended up doing a, a campaign around this. We, in fact, got federal OSHA in. They did issue a citation. They did require the hospital to do a comprehensive plan. But lots of, like lots of these citations, it only means something if the workers make it a priority. Right. Lots of employers will comply with the law. And six months later, the halo is off. We all know that laws are only as good as their capacity
0: to be enforced. So let's talk about that. What are some of the common challenges with
2: workplace violence reporting that can put employees at risk? I, the example I gave, I talked to 80 of our members at that uh, There were delegates and stewards at that work site. I asked them how many of them have faced workplace violence in their careers. All of them raised their hands. I asked them how many of them had reported. Every single one of them, only five did. These are union delegates in a unionized workplace. I shudder to think what it's like in an unorganized workplace where workers have no voice whatsoever. The problem is, employers do a good job of blaming the victim. When a worker raises a concern about workplace violence, they, f- they try to figure out, well, what did you do wrong? As opposed to figuring out why there wasn't a system to protect them from the, the problems that uh, come up either with patients or family members. It's a whole range of things that healthcare workers face when it comes to violence. Mm-hmm. Or, like in nursing homes, we have a time now where we have the kind of people who are in nursing homes are younger physically stronger, less medication to keep them sedate as there was once upon a time they was probably overly medicated in the past. Mm -hmm. And so today you deal with much more uh, problems with violence. If you look at OSHA 300 logs, the log of injuries, you will see back injuries and you will see workplace violence in terms of nursing homes as being the most damaging thing to workers health.
1: That leads perfectly into a question called in by a member to our podcast answer line. Um, Let's hear from Chris. He's a state employee from Newington
0: whistleblowers are making national headlines right now. So what protections are in place here in Connecticut to protect employees from retaliation where they report workplace violence?
2: Well, this is something that I spend a lot of time on because I always think about the bi- the biggest obstacles we face to protecting workers are what I call the two fear factors. Employers are not afraid of OSHA because the citations are so small and infrequent, and workers are afraid to raise their voice when it comes to dealing with uh, problems in the workplace. There are legal protections, and for public sector workers in Connecticut, there are con-OSHA protections. Um, There is also the right to act bill, which we we help pass, which makes it easier for workers to file a complaint. However, we all know that supervisors can find a million different ways to make lives miserable. They don't have to fire the worker. And really, I tell workers, the only protection you have is solidarity, is organizing your co-workers and getting people to act as a unit. That's how we get employers to fix problems. That's how you protect workers who want to raise their voice.
1: Appreciate that, Steve. Another member called in a question on occupational stress. Let's hear from Shelly, a school support professional from Windsor. My question is this. Shootings and other attacks are shining a light on the consequences of work-related What is being done here in Connecticut to identify and address
2: occupational stress? Not a lot. Mm -hmm. Occupational stress is the kind of thing that people don't want to talk about. In my particular case, my union is trying to deal with it at both the lottery and a couple of other facilities where it's come up. It comes up in different kinds of language. People talk about bad morale of state employees or other kinds of workers. Occupational stress is hard to get a handle on because the answers are not so easy to get solutions. You know, NIOSH, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, has a criteria document, has other documents to educate people Getting people to pay attention to this is not too easy. As far as I know, I don't think the state of Connecticut has any particular programs to deal with this, but this is something we have raised in work sites, and this is something we have raised also with Ken Tucker, who's the head of CONOSHA. So hopefully as we move forward, we'll find more people who want to talk about it, because to me, dealing with workplace violence, the strategy always has to be what is the root cause of the problem? And the root cause of that is, in fact, occupational stress. So it's exactly the right question to ask. I don't think I have a good answer about what the state's doing right now.
0: Steve, to wrap up, let's talk about income inequality and the misery it's causing working people across this country. Americans are reporting growing unhappiness with a rigged and unfair economy. How does that drive up incidents of workplace violence?
2: As we just talked about with stress, it increases it drastically. You know, if you look at the United Way report about uh, people in Connecticut who work for a living and can't pay their bills, you look at the patchwork across the state, you'll find all kinds of towns where that's a problem. Everywhere that's a problem, you're going to find problems with community violence. You're going to find the spillover into the workplace. The fact is when people can't pay their bills, they're under pressure. And that pressure can uh, can show itself in lots of different ways, and unfortunately, it shows in ways that it ends up being hurting other people. So there is an absolute direct connection.
0: There are many people who don't understand mental health or it mystifies them, but th- simply, the formula is that a person has only so much that they can tolerate of stress. And if the stress goes beyond that limit, that person ends up having mental health problems. And the stresses can be financial. Um, They can be also involved in in, uh, what you do for your occupation. Uh, And all of those things uh, can make what would normally be a highly functioning person into a person who can't function. And in some cases, makes it so that um, they become a danger to themselves and society like uh, what happened at the lottery shootings 21 years ago.
2: Yeah, and I think it creates the need for us to develop strategies in the workplace to help workers figure out how to get a handle on this. And so at, at the lottery, I worked with our members that, that work there to, to create a survey using NIOSH and other guidelines that we're going to use to both get out to our members as a way to both get information back as well as educate them about what the, uh, the nature of the problem is, and most importantly, hopefully find some solutions because getting people empowered in the workplace is the first step to actually reducing occupational stress. One of the things that causes stress in the workplace is having problems and having no say about how to fix them. And so the survey is one way to deal with this.
0: The EF of of course, with help from our constituency groups like the AFT and CEUI, uh, did uh, some concrete things to help reduce stress. Two of them, one of them was the fight for 15, because if you put more money in people's pockets and they're not so worried about putting food on the table, that's stress that's relieved from them. And the other of note is um, the paid family leave. Rich people could always take time off to take care of children, but people who can't miss a paycheck um, don't have that luxury. So by doing those two things, we are helping to reduce the tension in workday and work uh, working people's lives.
1: Thank you, Steve. Sal's question helps put the issue of workplace violence in real context, especially for our members who, well, thankfully, haven't experienced it themselves. So um, it's clear we made the right choice in calling you to help us out to kick off this discussion. We really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and experience with our members. And on behalf of all working people, thank you for being the champion for safe jobs.
2: Thank you for the opportunity to share some information.
1: And Sal, I want to thank you for being a part of this podcast. It really reinforces our movement's commitment to workplace safety. And the AFL-CIO's leadership, obviously, is out in front of this.
0: You're very welcome, Jen. And you should be proud of all that your union's activists are doing to fight workplace violence, too. It's a concrete example of what AFT Connecticut's you and I in union campaign is all about.
1: Couldn't agree more. And finally, I want to thank all our members for listening to this episode of AFT in Action. As always, I hope it was informative and inspirational because we believe the key to a safer future is engaging more activists to get involved in this fight. And once again, I invite questions for our next episode, which will focus on workplace violence in hospitals and healthcare settings. And it is our hope that we will be talking to Congressman Joe Courtney, who, as we heard today, is championing safety bills at the national level. Members can send questions or feedback by email to actnetreply at aftct.org. That's A-C-T-N-E-T-R-E-P-L-Y at sign A-F-T-C-T dot O-R-G. Plus, members can leave a message with their comments or questions by dialing 860-257-9782 and asking for extension 116. Again, that's 860-257-9782, extension 116. I'm looking forward to more members' voices being heard, and thank you in advance for participating. That's a wrap for this latest edition of AFT in Action. Additional episodes are available at our Podbean page
0: and social media channels, all of which can be found at aftct.org. Like what you heard? Then share with fellow members and encourage they give it a listen too and help build the
1: power of the U and I in union.